from the trenches. Welcome to Reality Check, a podcast for accountants, hosted by Shay Thaya and Rebecca Mahalik. In this podcast, we dive deep into important topics and moments worth celebrating in the accounting industry. This show is brought to you by From the Trenches, Real Life in Accounting. Well, hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Reality Check with Shay and Beck. I hope you are well. How are you, Beck? I am good. It's been a little while since we chatted, actually, so it's really great to see you via Zoom again and hear your voice. <laughs> no, I've missed you. I've missed you. I've missed so many of our friends. I feel like I've been stuck in Adelaide for so many weeks. Very grateful to have taken some leave recently, which has reminded me of so many reasons why it's important to look after oneself, put one's own oxygen mask on first before helping others, all of those important things. And that's a big part of what we want to talk about today, right? Like, I think it's tough out there. It is. Very, very, very intense. And so what we'd love to chat through today is not just rehashing the reasons why it's hard, you and I and our listeners know why it's hard. There's multiple factors contributing to things being incredibly intense at the moment, but we'll talk a little bit about inertia and why change doesn't happen even when the pain is just so, so intense and what better sort of catalyst to do things different. We'll talk a little bit about some cool new tech and maybe why it's cool, but also why it's kind of scary and indicating that things are incredibly stressful in the world of small business, which flows onto us as accountants and as practitioners and supporters of practitioners and things like that. And we'll also test out a little new segment at the end, a little bit of Captain Obvious. Everybody loves a bit of Captain Obvious. Gosh, it makes me laugh. And I just think it would be a lovely way to wrap up what could be a rather intense episode, Beck. Absolutely. Let's end it with a little bit of a giggle, why don't we? (laughs) Yes, please. Goodness me. So I recently have been really, really quite concerned and throwing myself around a bunch of our colleagues because I've seen some things that have worried me. I've seen some really solid operators in the industry, practitioners of a very long time, like real strong humans appear to be a bit wobbly. And what I mean by that is you can always tell when someone's not on their game. And these few people that have so I've been interacting with that have worried me, I've never seen this before. And by all accounts, they're sharing that there is just a level of intensity in our work and in the industry and in everything at the moment that people are not coping with. And I know that that sounds scary and it kind of is. I don't think there's any shame in sticking your hand up and say, actually, I'm not coping because I don't think there's much disparity. I think everyone's feeling a bit under the pump at the moment. And certainly I'm hearing things like I've been in the industry 20 years and I've never seen it like this. And I think, hang on a minute, we just went through all that COVID stuff and that was freaking hard, but now it's harder. Is that how you're feeling? Absolutely. COVID was really interesting because we all thought at some point it was going to have to end, right? It's like, well, it'll be over and things would get better. The thing that shocked us all is it ended and it didn't get better. Like we knew we were going to be in for some economic stress, which we will talk a little bit about later. But I think that we all thought we would have a little bit of relief at the end of this as practitioners particularly, and we haven't. And there's so many reasons why. Like you said, we're not going to delve into it, but I read this fantastic article that talked about us being the intermediaries between taxpayers 
and the government agencies going for tax grabs. And I think it really summed up the stress that we're under as accountants because we are that person. We're, we're the one in the middle, you know, explaining why the ATO is doing bass refund audits, why New South Wales is doing a stamp duty tax gap analysis because they ran out of money to refund people's payroll tax. And Queensland, like, fine, they rolled back on the land tax. But I spoke to so many of my clients about that, panicking about their investment properties or even their second homes in Queensland. And I know that that sounded really obnoxious because these people have investment properties that we're worried about. But the flow on effect of that is then stress in the rental market in Queensland. And it was just these tax grab by everybody to fill their own deficits. And we're the ones who have to deal with that. And we almost should get a bonus from the government for everything we're going through. You're absolutely right. It's like the ATO doesn't have a change implementation department. It just uses accountants. Oh, here's a new idea. Off you go, accountants, and can you make sure this happens in the industry? And I know we talk about this a lot. I think one of the things that was interesting to hear is, you know, we could talk a lot about ideas about how to make it better. And, you know, Hugh and I talk about scope and managing scope all the time because it is just 101 stuff, right? But even, you know, I'm hearing when scope's managed to within an inch of its life, it's not so much the scope, it's the expectations from clients. You know, you, they'll call and if you don't respond in five minutes and they'll call again and they'll email and they'll call and they'll send a Facebook message and they'll da 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 And it's awful, but taking 10 seconds to step into their shoes, if they're that on us, then they must be in a world of pain. They must be in absolute panic stations themselves to actively hound us for help. And it just, it's a bit scary. Like, I mean, it scares me if how we're coping as an industry is a bit of a barometer for how the economy is going. And this is expanding on that concept that small business dominates our economy here and whatnot, then that's a little bit scary personally. And, you know, I always used to say when I, when I worked in that big firm, I used to get annoyed because Every single day was like, how do I get people on board with this change that needs to happen? And there was often never enough pain. So I always use the example of let's move clients to the cloud. I know this is a long time ago, right? But, oh, no, they're fine how they are. We make heaps of money from our fees. So actually, I don't need to do anything different, Shay. There's no pain. But we've got this acute pain now. But right next to that, we just see inertia. So this willingness to sit in the way we've always done things. And it's like, it's easier to keep doing what I've always done because it's so hard right now, than actually have it be a thing that makes us want to do things differently or get so disparate that we have to do things differently. And so perhaps for our listeners, if this is your first time here, I am out of practice. Now I have never owned my own firm. I've worked in many a firm and I am by no means an expert at this. So I was thinking about what would I be thinking about and what would I be thinking about potentially doing differently? Like, I don't think there's a fix. I don't think there's like a big, beautiful magic brush that's going to fix things, but just to bring some relief or some that idea of eating an elephant one bite at a time, right? And I think, you know, you've talked a lot about this recently, Beck, is about making sure we're not working with, and it's not just about unprofitable clients, but clients that won't get on the bus with the way, and certainly if they don't align with our values, like nobody should be tolerating abusive language and behaviours or anything like that. And it concerns me because 
and I am a huge subscriber and I talk to the girls, my girls about this all the time is you are allowed to feel how you feel, but you are the boss of your behavior. And so I heard a story recently where a small business client was incredibly upset because their advisor just flipped one day and started emailing some of the most disgusting language to this advisor. And he didn't understand why he was just asking questions about his tax. They'd had a conversation about that. That was part of the service that he provided just turned into this epic sort of trail of abuse. And I thought, oh my gosh, my first obvious reaction was I'm appalled. Like that's not a, it's a bit silly that you did it in an email, but B, how that's just disgraceful. But then immediately I thought, is that person okay? Like to push a person to be that extreme with their behavior, are they okay? Anyway, the story goes that this person is okay. They just had some disgraceful behavior and we would never tolerate that. I mean, there's some basics in there, right? Like I would be having a look at the bottom 10% of my clients, the ones that don't, it's not even about light me up, but you know, am I actually being impactful with them? Is it really purpose in our relationship at all and moving them on? Is that what you'd be doing in practice? Absolutely. And I'm not going to go too much into it because I think people are sick to death of me talking about (laughs) engagements and scope out there. But it's not even just about the clients. It's about all the work that you do as well. So even internally or working on your business, are you dedicating yourself to the right things? So not just the right clients, but the right kind of work. So as you know, and some of our listeners might know, I'm going through or I've just gone through a merger. Now, as part of that, we've got to bring in a bunch of new clients, a bunch of new tech, all this. uh, There's a migration of systems and people and learning. And in the normal world order, you would look at that and look at who I am and be like, well, it's fine. Beck will do that. She'll manage it. She'll get the right people on board. She'll go through that process. And all I could think of with that pressure put on top of me is I'm drowning because I don't want to do that. And not just that. And it's no right now. Absolutely. It's that time where I've got too much on my plate. My cup is full. So I don't want to take it on now. But realistically, even if things are good, I'm still not the best person for that anymore. And that's why I just got out of my own way. And I've gone and hired Clarity Street to do this for me. And not just that, do a whole entire tech review because you're right. Like when everything's fine, you just ignore it. You know, you've implemented a great system, might have worked wonderful five years ago, and then you just ignore it and it slowly falls apart. Well, the tech improves and you don't improve your process and you just let it roll. I'm like, you know, I know we're busy, so we don't want to do it now. But when we're not busy, we think everything's great. So we also don't do it. So we're just not doing stuff as an industry. And I just bit the bullet. I'm like, no, come in, fix it all up please. And could immediately see the value I'll get out of that versus the investment is huge. And I am so excited that I finally got out of my own way to make a difference in my day. Amazing. Go you. And congratulations on recognizing that because that's like one of the hardest things. And I think historically we've always done that. I've always found it bizarre. And this leads me on to my second thing that I was thinking about. What would I do? What would I think about if I was running a practice? And it's to literally, and it's not just about outsource, but it's about think more closely about the tasks that we do every day. So for example, like imagine if you were doing this implementation that Amy's going to deliver and it's going to be fantastic and amazing and come back to me when it's done, Amy, amazing. But imagine what you couldn't do if you were doing that. Like not only would you be just a crazy person because your head would explode, but you wouldn't be able to be agile with your clients. You 
probably would it would be a disaster. I know you know this. I'm not meaning to mansplain this to you, but even just the basics, right? So we're so still very obsessed with chargeable hours and whatnot across the industry, but we also tolerate our teams and our chargeable teams doing a heap of non-chargeable things. If you think about the sort of natural progression through a, a larger firm or whatever, you go from a senior accountant and you're pretty much 80, 90% chargeable every day. You basically get non-chargeable time to go to the bathroom and maybe do a tiny bit of tax training. But as soon as you're a manager, you're expected to manage a team. Thanks to Ada for supporting this episode of Reality Check. Ada's AI platform helps accountants scale advisory services across your entire client base. Using their technology will allow anyone in your team to have meaningful data-driven conversations, allowing you to increase your revenue and deliver quality advice that your clients actually need. Ada's AI system can automatically detect and notify you of upcoming cash flow falls and unexpected tax bills. Sign up for a free trial of ADA today so that you're one step closer to offering great advice to all of your clients. And so I'm not saying that managers shouldn't manage a team, but there's a bit of work that goes into managing workflow. And imagine if you are just recognizing that small firms and large firms have different access to resources and all this sort of stuff. But imagine if you had seven managers of seven teams and each of them had those managers were spending a day a week doing those workflow and team management activities. Imagine if you brought a human in that's actually really good, like they have some kind of program manager background or project manager background, and they are just like an absolute workflow prioritization legend. And they scooped up that work for those seven managers and they delivered that for the firm. Yeah, you'd probably have to pay them more than a hundred grand, but I can tell you right now, the time that those managers spend on it is time that they can then be chargeable. You add the two things, opportunity cost and actual cost together, and you have knocked that out of the park. I did a business case of probably five years ago now for a very large firm that suggested exactly this. And it was multiple millions of dollars of savings and fee gains. And so like, I think that would be the absolute first thing that I would be doing is having a look at my team that are struggling with their capacity and going, okay, I've got rid of my, I was going to say a swear word. I got rid of my crappy clients, but they're still swamped and they're still feeling like they're not coping. What else can I take from them so that they can focus on them one, you know, most impactful activity, which is working with clients. And it would be anything administrative. If they're keying fees, oh my gosh, help me. You know, anything like that, even setting up appointments, any of that stuff, I would be getting that off their plate. And yeah, I would be doing that straight away, pretty much. No, absolutely. And these are the little things that make all of your days so much better. And also, when we're busy and we're not implementing the right processes, the right procedures, all it does is open us up to risk. And I mentioned at the beginning of this, this whole thing where we're the intermediaries between the government and taxpayers. Not only that, we're being reviewed too as accountants. We're on the firing line, which pisses me off. Oh, whoops. <laughs> A little bit passionate for early in the morning, which makes me very, very mad <laughs> every day. That how dare they? We're like, 
bridging this gap between government and taxpayer, yet they want to come after us as well. But in all fairness, when we're too busy, we do drop the ball on our compliance issues or on our best practice procedures. And it does put us at risk and it puts our clients at risk and maybe we're not doing our best work. And that's really, really problematic because what we do is very important. Even, you know, let's just shelf the advisory stuff for a moment, which is incredibly important at the bare minimum, the compliance, like this is the stuff that keeps people out of jail and keeps them out of trouble. And when we drop the ball on that, or we do something wrong, or we cut corners, or we're Optus and we get breached, like imagine that. And we're all running through this process. Like the Optus breach did nothing other than in my mind, bring to the forefront and particularly everything I'm seeing on the forums with accountants right now, the blatantly obvious that as an industry, we move to the cloud to work closer with our clients, to save a little bit of money and get advantages. And we did not do it in a safe way as an industry. Yes, absolutely. Here, we have done a really good job, I think, of putting in, you know, two-factor authentication and we've got a whole range of processes and we use good tech that is verified and that has security in place. But overall, I think that there is a lot of us out there doing the wrong thing. And I can see that in the things that people are talking about and these panic that accountants are having on forums at the moment around, oh, so what does this breach actually mean? I'm like, man, that scares me that you don't know. That actually horrifies me and petrifies me that you have got your client's data potentially out there that can be easily accessed and you haven't done enough about it. I mean, people exist. Practice Protect exists. Like these people exist out there. Even the tech themselves, like Intuit, Zero, all of these places, two-factor authentication, bare minimum to be able to access the software. It's not there just because they want to make our lives difficult. It's really important. And when we conned our clients to go on the cloud, we had to promise them their data would be secure. So they, for goodness sakes, make it secure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not so much the data that sits inside of, you know, your QBO file, your Zero file, it's what sits in the periphery within your firm. Yeah, goodness. And yeah, I know you're quite shocked as to like why people didn't know what this meant. And I have often taken feedback. So I'm a bit of an internal controls crazy person. And this just comes from my background working in finance and having those necessary steps of how do you know that that bank account is their bank account? Well, you need to have processes in, in place to within your accounts payable process to make sure that you're not just paying some rando scammer. You're not, how do you make sure about that? It's not about just asking the tech to do it for you. You do need to adapt your processes. And that's probably the thing that scared me the most was given the feedback that I'd received and always the challenge around it needs to go faster. The process needs to go faster, but it also needs to be very secure. I bet there's a gazillion I'm not sure what we call everyone these days, bookkeepers, transactional accountants, people that handle AP that don't do those things because their organisation would probably put enough pressure on them to be more efficient than controlled. So yeah, that was quite scary for me. I didn't read a lot while I was on leave, but I did see that because I'm an Optus customer and sort of got the heebie-jeebies big time. <laughs> well, even on our end, so as the accountants, not necessarily a stressful thing for us like here we weren't super concerned about having any of our data access, but we did start to get these notifications for some of our clients who might on their end not take the best control of their payroll where it was like, you know, so-and-so's bank details have been changed. And we would get that notification from the software as the advisor as well, contacting the clients be like, hey, is this right? Has someone accessed your data? Do you need to fix this? 
And it was just because we are the advisor on the account or have been invited in. There are certain people who will get those notifications. They got them as well. But these are, you know, and I saw a lot of that conversation. But this is like another thing. This is another thing part on top of us. Now we're dealing with that. How do we now make sure as an industry, if we haven't done a good job, that we're actually protecting not just the client data we own, but like you said, how we're moving it around. Mm-hmm. And when we're stressed and busy, yes, we will pull that ATO report off the portal. We will not remove the TFNs. We will not remove the ABNs. We will stick it in an email and we will just send it to some guy at the mortgage broker for our client getting a loan. That is so bad, that whole entire process. And we are not allowed to be doing that. And I know it happens. So we need to review this whole entire system because it's not just that we're stressed and overworked. It's what does that mean for the security of ourselves, our businesses? I mean, it would be devastating for an accounting firm to have to actually report a breach that would cripple you. Oh yeah. And especially, not especially for any accounting firm, but for the large firms that have their risk departments and whatnot. I know that it sits on registers everywhere, but I also know that the infrastructure that sits around it is not adequate and the processes that sit around it because it's about, it's as much about human error as tech error. Well, it's actually more about human error than it's about tech error. And I can, you know, if I was a betting person, I would say that the understanding of that at the team member level would be very shallow unless someone had a special interest in it. So that, Mm. Indeed. The third thing that I would be thinking about, again, I think you and I, you especially have done to death is just review your scope, dial it in, dial it in. If it's not clear, get that done. This story that I was telling before was the whole problem between this small business and this advisor was, as the story was told, about scope management and it was quite simply that the small business just kept asking questions because they thought they were allowed to. The accountant got jack of it and started to get shorter and shorter and shorter with these email replies and then just started firing off some of the most disgusting language that I've ever heard just because they weren't good at or didn't want to have a firm grown-up conversation with their clients. Like I can't, it was just 101 poor scope and expectation management. And like I just still struggle with, I mean, certainly I was running a firm today, that would be on lockdown because it is the most important thing that we do to manage our relationships. We avoid situations like that. And if we, this one particular colleague that I was talking to a number of weeks ago, it was like, it's not about the scope. I've got my scope management dialed in. It is like right on the letter. And even over and above that, the demands of clients, they're just suffocating and it's wrapped up in emotion as well, because you do feel for your clients. You're like, I know why you're so, I know why you're so desperate and I want to help you, but I'm, I'm drowning, I'm drowning. So that would be, I don't think we need to go on and on and on about scope review, but we've got to do it. No, it's got to be the third thing. So the fourth thing that I would be thinking about is I shouldn't be in this alone. So if I like was running my own firm, I would be like, who can help me? And I think about this because I think you said the reason why we potentially coped better during the COVID intensity than we are now is because we thought there was an end, but also because there were some amazing communities that popped up during that time. And there was a sense of togetherness, like, yes, we might be in a 
a shithole, but we are in it together and we can support each other. And there was a very much a sense like competition was not even a thing, right? It was literally community, community, community. We're all in this together. Let's see how we can help really, really strong people that were coping better or able to support people that weren't. And we lifted each other together. I feel like that's not there anymore. And so this idea that, you know, what is there synergies I can get by merging or partnering? Like clearly this is front of mind for you, Beck, because, you know, I think it's always been a no-brainer from my perspective, in my opinion, to bring accounting and bookkeeping together. We do not have time today to talk about the beef and how dumb it is. But anyway, that would probably be the fourth thing that I'm thinking about doing. Who can I partner with or how can we bring firms together so that we're not replicating the burden, we're actually bringing it together and then minimising it. So this idea of one plus one is two, one plus one could be five, six or seven. Oh, absolutely. And this is something that I acknowledged quite a few years ago now and jumped on board. I never went into, even after accounting and advisory, I never went into that wanting to be by myself. Like I did that with James Solomon and, and bless him, great guy, but had a different path. So, you know, he's CFO of an amazing tech company now and one of our like clients too and went into that role. But that transition left me a little bit lonely and it's hard. It's really hard. Even if one plus one does equal two in your actual output, one plus one means you're not alone. And that's like a huge thing. It's a big, to take on that level of stress, like everything we've talked about, all these things that are causing us overwhelm, when you have no one to talk to about that, that is really distressing. Even without the community groups that we have, there is a sense of competition sometimes in or often in the accounting industry. And maybe you're not as honest as you should be with your colleagues, but when they are your business partners, you are. So, you know, that whole moving from Aptus into Business Depot, then bringing on another partner in Sydney who was Simone and she was amazing. And I cannot, as a female who's had a difficult career, which I won't get into right now either, I cannot advocate more for having a female partner. Brilliant. Like it's a whole level of security I didn't think I could have as a business owner. And then to, you know, expand that out and bringing Lillette on as well in Sydney and merging in with, we had like light touch bookkeeping services, now full service bookkeeping and bolstering our advisory. I mean, this is what we're here for. And I just, I love it. I love this whole entire approach and it feels, it's like a sense of relief when you get through the hard bit and the tech integration and all that, and you get to a point where it's done, the relief floods. And that's amazing. I love that. And I was so excited. When I saw that announced, I thought, oh my gosh, what a powerhouse team, like, well done, bravo. You know, I adore both of you so much and I've met Simone and she's amazing also. And I will say this out loud, you're a lucky man, John, to have these amazing ladies in in Sydney uh, repping the brand for sure. I was thinking a lot this morning about purpose and I think this opportunity that we have when we do merge and we do recognise these opportunities is to kind of get back out of the clinicalness of what we do into the purpose of what we do. You can probably tell I've been spending a lot of time with Andrew Van Der Beek, but <laughs> it's not just him. I'm obsessed with this stuff, but we actually, why do we do any of this? It's actually, I mean, I don't know about you, Beck, but for me, I think about you know, the reason I've moved into the role that I'm in now into it, which might seem weird to some people, is because I wanted to have the ability to influence lots and lots of practitioners to do more awesome because when they are doing more awesome then they're reaching more small businesses and when we know that when small businesses are connected with an awesome 
advisor that they do better and our business, our economy runs on small business. So when small business is good, economy is good and life is good. And that is literally why I get out of bed every day. And some of my commercial leader colleagues get confused because they're like, don't you want to make profit for shareholders? Yeah, of course I do. But we know that profit purpose-driven organizations are, you know, exponentially more profitable than others. Anyway, getting around, I was so excited for opportunity for you guys in your firm to just like amplify that impact that you guys have. I'm totally gushing now, but I haven't had a chance to talk to you about this. Anyway, so shifting gears a tiny bit, some cool new tech. Yeah, super cool new tech. Yes, talk to me. So Lee Dunsford, as people may or may not know, was co-founder of Waddle, which was bought by Zero for I think like 80 million bucks, right? So like me, like I have a startup. If I had a startup and Zero came along and bought it for $80 million, I've checked out. I'm done. I am sailing away on the sunset in my yacht. Not Lee. No, he's 40, younger than me. And he's all like, I'm not ready to retire yet. Please, I could retire tomorrow. Thank you. But anyway, so instead of focusing on businesses, now he's come back with this new app that he's developing, which is going to be focused more on individuals. And what it's doing, my understanding of it, is that it's going to allow people effectively, so salary and wage earners, to access the money they're earning almost by the hour that they earn it instead of having to wait for payday. So it'll plug into payroll systems and it'll probably be something that it's going to be a subscription model, it sounds like, and the user will pay for it per day and will be backed by the actual businesses as well. So like that corporation would have to be on board to allow their staff to be able to access it because I imagine that the group would want to make sure that if they're lending out money, that they're actually going to be able to get it back from somebody. Now, that seems super cool. Like how exciting is this? And also completely horrifying. The fact that this app needs to exist is, to me, an indicator of not just the economic stress that we're going through, but that we're going to go through. And I think we all know that, but this just brought that really, really home to me that there are so many people stressed out that there's already over 7,000 people signed up to use this app that doesn't exist because they need to access their money before payday. And if you think about it in Australia, the majority of people get paid, you know, fortnightly, weekly and there are some out there in professional services primarily it might be monthly but fortnightly and weekly pays probably dominate this country and we're now in a place and probably have been getting there for quite a while now where people can't wait a week to get paid anymore that's really scary i hear you and when we were talking about this earlier and i've talked to lee and dale a lot about nine to five over the last year or so. And I was so excited when they took me through this concept. And I'll tell you why. So this might be like point four a on my list of things that I might do, but we clearly have an issue retaining talent in the industry in general. And there is a whole episode for us to do on why firms need to realize that what they've always done is part of the reason why they can't retain talent in their firms. But anyway, preaching, sorry, don't want to preach, but this idea, so I'll give you an example. So I went through an exercise with a big firm a number of years ago to shift from fortnightly pays to monthly because the amount of effort involved in delivering fortnightly pays was actually very expensive and kind of dumb commercially. So we went through the exercise to move to monthly pays. It saved the business a lot of money, but I know as someone that has worked 
and being paid weekly, being paid fortnightly, being paid monthly, it's quite an adjustment. Now, logic might say that a bunch of accountants should be pretty good at managing their own finances, but I think that is an assumption that we should disconnect with because we're all humans also. And so the idea would be that in that circumstance, I could use nine to five if I implemented nine to five at the same time as moving to a monthly payroll cycle, the business would retain the efficiencies of that monthly cycle, but staff could access their funds more regularly than monthly. So it's like a double whammy of awesome, basically. That's in a nutshell what the impact would be for that firm. So when Lee and Dale and I were talking about it, I was like, that's freaking amazing. Imagine that as a retention tool in the accounting industry. Actually, I don't want to go to that mid-tier because I get paid monthly and I don't know about you, but I still don't get paid a lot because I'm an accountant. I'm an accountant and I've never been paid well. And I'd like access to my money more frequently than monthly because that just makes more sense to me. It's a huge benefit, huge benefit at a team member level. And then from the firm's level, of course, they can move to monthly pays and it's much, much more efficient. I was like, this is a brilliant idea. But to your point, if we need it, and by all accounts, they're doing really well and there's some amazing adoption happening. It's certainly a new concept. So, you know, that they've got a bit of some hard work to do in the economy to understand this concept because it's not payday lending. It's very different. You're accessing your own money. Anyway, you're right. It is quite terrifying to think that that's where we're at, basically. And look, there's months where I don't do a great job managing my funds, but I also acknowledge that I'm far from the worst off in our economy. And I think about those people that maybe they're casual, maybe they work in hospitality, all of that sort of stuff. If they literally need to take their pay home when they finish their shift, that is a huge indicator of some pretty serious distress. Absolutely. There's a lot going on in the economy right now, which is incredibly stressful. And like, thank you for sharing that alternative version because I read this at first. I'm like, oh, this is just cool tech because I love the cool tech stuff. But then it scared me. And I, you know, I grew up very much in a working class family and there were absolutely huge periods of time where there was financial struggles. And I remember, you know, my dad multiple times during my childhood work two jobs just to make things happen. And I read this and that's all, all I had was like flashbook backs to my childhood. Not that it was horrific, you know, I had a very happy, loving childhood, but because of me was always keenly aware of the financial stress in the house. That's where I am. I'm keenly aware of the financial stress that my clients are under and then how that flows forward. And I'm very aware of the pay rises and pay changes I have to make to my staff and want to, to make sure that they're still fine and comfortable in their lives. So this, although amazing, did terrify me. Yeah. Last gear shift. This is getting very motorsporty, but I don't know what else you do to segue. I'm an accountant. I'm not a podcast host. We're going to try a a little bit of a new last segment, which I actually, I'm already laughing because because I hear myself say this. I don't know whether we call it, we can call it a couple of things. Yeah. It could be the no shit Sherlock segment. It could be the Captain Obvious segment. But what have you seen (laughs) when you have just literally facepalmed and gone, duh. (laughs) So this is really funny because the best thing about this podcast is it's making me read more. And I'm sure that I've mentioned this on the other podcasts before, but I'm back in there. I'm reading. I'm trying to stay up to date, current affairs, so that I can share that with all you lovely people. But in this process, I am reading a lot of stuff that's like, wow, did that article really need to be written? 
And my case in point today is there is this article in the AFR about EY and that big, huge demerger that feels like it's been going on forever. It's like, just do it already. Where they're splitting the order and the consulting business. Now, this whole article is all around EY is anticipating that they will get more clients and make more profit if they demerge audit and consulting. And I'm like, no shit, Sherlock. Why else would they do it? I mean, honestly, who didn't see that this is what was going to happen? You should, if they don't totally stuff it up, get higher quality tech-enabled advisory over here just for the people that they need it. And then independent audits where maybe they don't do the wrong thing anymore over here. How is this not a better idea? Why was that article needed to be written at all whatsoever? I just, you know, out of pure curiosity, I read it to see if maybe there was some brainwave or some amazing lightning bolt in there. There wasn't. It was exactly what I thought it was going to be. And any person reading that would have known, of course, (laughs) this is why they're doing it. EY expects more clients and more profit from a demerger. No shit, Sherlock. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So I also had one and I did what you did. I read it because I thought, oh, maybe I did that thing that I was given feedback on many years ago when I assume or someone disagrees with me to say, interesting, because it might be an opportunity for me to learn something. And so mine was a Cam's Daily article titled, COVID kicked ATO objections up a gear. The, the headline itself, I was like, yeah. Absolutely. Yes, of course. And it was all about during the COVID period and even now, but accountants and small businesses have spent a lot of time on the phone with the ATO working out what is the right information to be getting through to the ATO. And, and on the back of that, our wonderful Inspector General of Taxation, Karen Payne, telling us that so many of the objections and it, like an increased percentage of the objections came from COVID-related stuff. Yeah, it's an obvious. <laughs> and we love Karen Payne and we think she's amazing. And I also adore Phil King from Accountants Daily. But I was like, Phil, you are Captain Obvious. <laughs> with that one. Goodness me. And with that, I think we're done, Beck. I think so. Thank you, everybody, for listening to us. Go on. Week. <laughs> Amazing. And if you do have any feedback, we'd love to hear it. We're trying a few new things and just hoping that they are useful and valuable for you all. So I hope you have it all a good week. And just in the spirit of looking after everyone, if any of the things we've talked about today were triggering, make sure you do reach out to those people and those organizations that can help you. You are not in it alone. Everyone is under the pump right now. Everyone's going to come through it. Everything is going to be okay, but don't be afraid to ask for help. Have an amazing week. See you back. See you, Shay. Thank you again. Listeners, Beck and I would love to hear from you. We'd love your ideas. We'd love your feedback on everything, anything. We love all of it. I can be reached on Twitter, Shay underscore Thaya, so that's S-H-A-Y-E underscore Thaya, T-H-Y-E-R, and on LinkedIn, Shay Thaya. And I can be reached on Twitter and LinkedIn, both at Rebecca Mahalik, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-M-I-H-A-L-I-C. From the trenches.